life is a mess and you're totally stressed out just call trend just call trend when your wife is cold as ice and you need some advice just call trend just call trend he'll shoot it straight and he won't say no He'll just give you that advice and say, well, there you go. Yeah, I just, I just moved out here uh, about three weeks ago. I was on the Upper West Side for the first year I was here. Wow. Yeah. Love, love the Upper West Side. Me too. I, I, w- I would love to stay, but they raised the rent two grand. So, Jeez, <laughs> yeah. That's such bullshit. I know. That is just the worst. Yeah, it was crazy. But I like Sunnyside a lot uh, so far. Yeah. Well, Queens is kind of happening now. Yeah, it's cool. I like it. Um, but originally I'm from Indiana. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so you weren't like a big comedy kid when you were growing up. You didn't really have any desires to to do comedy or write comedy, right? I really had no desire to be in comedy as a kid. I, I mean, not that I didn't want to, I just, it just never dawned on me. You know, I mean, it's funny. I was on this panel a few years ago at the um, Austin Film Festival. And, you know, it was like with other comedy writers and they were asking like, who are your biggest influences? And, you know, they're all talking about, you know, Abbott and Costello and, you know, this and that and Mel Brooks. And I'm like, Woodward and Bernstein? (laughs) Yeah. I was really more interested in journalism than anything. Right. And then you- I I like writing full sentences, you know, as opposed (laughs) to scripts. Yeah, exactly. So then you went to college. Where'd you go to college? Uh, University of Maryland. For journalism, right? Yeah. I mean, I kind of, yeah. I, I The journalism department, which is fantastic now, was awful then. So like I took about three classes and then I like looked on the, ske- on the schedule of classes and thought there's nothing else I really want to take. Mm-hmm. So I became a hit major. I was good at BSing it. Yeah. So then, you you after you graduate, you you get a job at the at the Washington Post. Yeah, I kind of, you know, scammed my way in. Mm-hmm. You know, I I actually I had heard from somebody who went to Maryland a couple of years before me and who wrote for the newspaper at school that. Um, you know, they really weren't hiring white males at the time, you know, I, which was kind of understandable just because, you know, it, certainly then Washington, D.C. was like 80 percent black. Mm-hmm. So um, I actually wrote a job letter as a woman. I used my friend's name, Faith Cates. And um, like I wrote this letter and they wrote me back and offered me this job with like really bad hours, but you know, it was like a foot in the door. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I was like, Oh God, they're expecting a woman. What am I going to do? So I wrote another letter explaining why I wrote the first letter. And then like, I got 
they then they had to meet me and I got to meet like every editor, you know, short of Ben Bradley, you know, <laughs> and uh, it was really great. And, mm. uh, you know, I kind of got my foot in the door and I was a paper. I was, you know, a copy aide and I was the most incompetent copy aide of all time. So yeah. they just started letting me write. <laughs> and then what, what kind of articles were you writing? I was mostly in sports. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where I got in. But I was always trying to get into other sections, you know, like I travel just to basically so I could write something for the travel section. Um, I was writing, you know, a TV reviews and things like that. Just, you know, trying to, you know, get in there as much as I can. But, um, you know, I, I look at these journalists from the Washington Post who are on, um, you know, like TV now. Mm -hmm. And they're so hardcore and they're so, they dig so hard. And I kind of realize in retrospect, that wasn't really me. Yeah. You know. So what made you, did you leave to do Seinfeld or did you leave before that? Oh, no, I left, I left way before that. Um, I left in, and I moved to New York and, um, you know, it took me a long time, but I got a job at ABC Sports working for a guy named, I don't know if you'd, you'd ever heard of him, but I was working for a guy named Howard Cosell. Oh, yeah, I know Howard Cosell. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like he was the most famous person in America back then. Mm -hmm. you know, every year he would be on the top, the lists of the top 10 most admired and most hated people. in America. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, he was, it was like living in the epicenter of the sports world. And so um, we did a sports journalism program that's kind of like the precursor to the show that Brian Gumble does now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's what it was. And uh, without that kind of budget. But, um, you know, that was really amazing. And, um, you know, I got to go to the 84 Olympics in, in LA and I, you know, I was in the first time I ever, first and only time I ever worked the live event, you know, and I was in charge of like nailing down what should be on the instant replays. Oh, really? Yeah, which was pretty hairy. <laughs> um, but, you know, like after the Olympics, um, about four months later, it, it just worked out that ABC Sports had given in to such incredible corporate waste at the Olympics that they cut, did massive cutbacks. And, you know, working for Howard Cosell was the kind of job where, like, after I was hired, there were maybe two other people hired, you know, in the two and a half years that I was there. So I was at the end of the list. So mm. I got laid off, which was the best thing in a way, because, you know, it was a great experience, but, you know, it's not really writing. Right. So, um, you know, I let, I was done with that and, um, uh, you know, then I just kind of, I was looking around trying to figure out what to do next. And one day I just wrote this article called, uh, the, we just broke up last night diet. Mm -hmm. It was about like what you eat, what a guy eats for the next five days after he's been dumped. <laughs> And I sold it to Mademoiselle magazine, which was a great magazine, but no, no longer exists. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is so great. 
and they loved it. And I got to like meet with all these editors and then I got to go into other magazines and I was writing for GQ and all these women's magazines. And then I started, you know, writing some stuff for the New York Times. So that was really, 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 really fun. Mm -hmm. And then um, in 1989, I just kind of needed a break, you know. I needed like a little bit of a life change. And so I always liked LA from the Olympics. Mm -hmm. so I moved to LA and, um, you know, I kept writing freelance and then, you know, I bumped into Larry David one day. Yeah. Who I, I had met in New York literally I, twice. I how'd you, how'd you meet him? Were you like bouncing around? Like, in, New did, York, mm -hmm. I, in New York, I met him because I was, I had like a, a half share in a summer house in the Hamptons, mm -hmm. you know, with a whole bunch of people. And one of the people in the house brought Larry out as a guest. So I basically spent one day with him mm -hmm. and, you know, he was kind of fun, you know, and I'd heard of him and he, you know, we kind of got along well and everything. And then I saw him one other time and then I moved out here and I bump into Larry on the street which is really the most important part of the entire story because I should stress that everything is luck. Right. You know, you know, getting yourself ready to be lucky is everything. Mm -hmm. So I bump into Larry and, you know, he knows I'm a writer. He didn't know that I never wrote a script before. And, you know, he says, I'm doing this little, hey, I'm doing this little TV show with Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, maybe you could write a script for us. Give me, you know, give me a writing sample and I'll pass it on to Jerry. So I didn't have a script. But I wrote this article, kind of a, hum a semi bittersweet humor piece in the New York Times magazine that had gotten a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. and, and Jerry just took a shine to it. So I got a chance to write a script and, uh, you know. Not too long after, I was like loaded. <laughs> so, what well, I was going to ask, what were your first impressions of Larry when you when you met him at the at the summer house? Um, trying to remember. I remember, you know, I got to say, my first react, my first real memory of him is that he was a really good laugher. Mm -hmm. If you said something that he found funny. He didn't just say, oh, that's funny. He really laughed. Yeah. You know? Um, I remember I was on, like, we were just hanging out at the pool or something like that. And uh, something came up and I just said, yeah, I'm a man of the 80s. And then I said, I can't wait for him to end. And I remember, like, Larry busting out laughing and thinking, wow, that's, you know, for, like, a comedian to laugh right. at else. Like, that was, like, I thought that was really generous, you know? Yeah. I, you know, as it turned out, Jerry was like that too. But you know, like a lot of a lot of comedians are not mm -hmm. generous with their laughs. So I would say that's the first thing I remember about him. That's interesting because I've talked to some guys who knew him as a stand-up. They did stand-up with him, and uh, you hear all these stories of his stand-up where, if the audience wasn't on board immediately, he would just get angry and and yeah, walk off stage and, and storm off. Yeah. yeah. And then sometime, one time, he was famous for storming off the stage and then coming back <laughs> to point out one person in the audience and said, yeah, you could have talked during my set a little bit more, you retard fuck. <laughs> and then he stormed off again. You know, like, 
he had it in his mind that this one guy didn't get it. <laughs> you know, he didn't stick it to this one guy. Uh, you know, you got to love Larry. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you send in the the uh, the essay and then they they bring you in and you are you like pitching ideas? Exactly. For... You know, the funny the thing was they had done. I think at that time they had produced only three episodes. Mm hmm. So they gave me uh, VHSs at the time of the three episodes. And I watched them and I actually got nervous. Uh -huh. because I was like, oh my God, this is really good. I mean, like, this is something I think I would like to be part of. Right. And I didn't know what I was doing. But, you know, I went in and... I remember going into that office and Jerry was like lying down on the couch and like the first thing he said was, God, it's like three o'clock. I haven't done anything all day and I'm exhausted. What is going on here? You know, mm -hmm. I was actually a little nervous, but I was pitching ideas and Larry Charles, you know, who is another great writer, mm -hmm. you know, um, he was in the room and one of the ideas I pitched was, you know, that Jerry kind of absentmindedly tells Elaine that apartment opened up in his building, like an old woman died. Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden he like, you know, she wants the apartment and all of a sudden she, he's like, oh my God, what did I do? I'm going to have my ex-girlfriend, you know, in the building. I'm right. gonna have to, you know, he goes, I'm going to have to sneak in like a, and that was the, that was the entire pitch like there was nothing else you know like that was the idea okay good mm -hmm. go ahead and write it and you know like you know no other show would just send you off but they didn't really know what they were doing because they weren't sitcom people right so i don't know if you remember that episode but you know there's another storyline in there where george goes to a, a party for the new york marathon with jerry and he wears a wedding ring just mm. to yeah, yeah. Like women would really hit on him and I wrote that story into the script. And oh, really? Yeah. And they didn't even know that that was the story. You know, that that was not a story I talked to them about. I just uh -huh. thought, no, this is good. I could, you know, like, it, it, I could get them in a situation where they're both arguing about who's the bigger idiot and arguing for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, like, no, you're, you have not, you know, I'm the biggest idiot. No, you, you know. And, um, it just worked out, you know, I, I dropped off the script and um, I drove home. I was living in Venice then and the show, you know, was in Studio City in the Valley. And uh, I got home and Larry had told me that he'd probably call me the next day, you know, get back to me in a day or so. Mm -hmm. And I get back and there's a message on my machine. It's Larry he goes, uh, well, we li I lied to you. Uh, we read it as soon as you left, and it's fantastic. We loved it, and uh, you're great. Fantastic. I was like, you know, total beginner's luck. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we shot the episode, and Larry said, Larry goes, uh, you know, that was the, that season was the episode, the second season, there were like 13 episodes that year. Mm -hmm. Not a full schedule. And, um, and Larry says to me after we shoot the episode, um, 
you know, if we get picked up, uh, you got a job. And the funny thing is, Larry was basically rooting to not get picked up. <laughs> yeah. You know, in certain ways. And uh, <clears throat> so, um, so yeah, I got, you know, I got the job. Yeah. So when you're first writing that script, did you find, did you find it came easy to you? Like how, how do you transition from writing like articles and stuff like that to a, a sitcom script? You know, it's completely different. Mm -hmm. You know, I, although for that script, I had the advantage of not knowing what I was doing. And so I wrote very freely. And mm -hmm. story-wise was always, you know, figuring out the story was a, you know, something I had no idea about, you know, and I kind of like, you know, I kind of lucked into a couple of things, you know, and, and, you know, then Jet Larry did a rewrite, you know, that was, you know, changed several scenes a lot. Mm -hmm. and, um, but, you know, the structure and everything was kind of there. And um, it was really an advantage to not know what I was doing there because I was, you know, just, I wrote very freely and mm -hmm. I never had any problem with dialogue. Yeah. Like I thought it was, I, I, to this day, I think dialogue is like so easy. Mm -hmm. I mean, not, not necessarily if you're, you know, want to write like Aaron Sorkin. Right. But for the most part, it's dialogue is easy and um, story is hard. Mm -hmm. You know, story structure, you know, story structure was something I struggled with throughout most of my years at Seinfeld, you know, it was just very hard, especially, you know, finishing off an episode is really a hard thing. Yeah. Do you feel like you ever figured it out completely or? You know, I, you know, when I figured it out, when I had my own show. Yeah. All of a sudden, when I didn't have Jerry and Larry as a backstop, all of a sudden I kind of figured it out. Like I got really, I got much better at it, but I kind of wish I had, gotten much better at it at Seinfeld but you know I can't really complain right yeah but um yeah I'm you know the thing that got to be really hard during the show during the years I was there like I realized that you know as being a journalist you're always looking out at the world mm -hmm. you're, you're you're reporting on what you see but in Seinfeld especially a show run by Larry you have to be very aware of your own thoughts. You have mm -hmm. to look forward, you know, because I always say that anybody on the walking the street, if they had a mechanism for like retaining their tiniest thoughts, they could come up with five Seinfeld episodes right. in a week. But, you know, like I wasn't trained to do that. Larry was amazing at it. Every mm -hmm. little thought stuck with him. So, you know, there was a period of time when I just got like so introspective about these things that I wasn't even like leading an existential life. Mm -hmm. I was just observing myself and everything, and it was really weird. Yeah. And um, I always tell this story. I mean, this is a story. I, the year of the big earthquake out here, you know, our stage was trashed. This was 94. Mm hmm. And um, 
So our season ended up going like four weeks long and I was really exhausted. And a friend of mine, this girl I know said, oh, you should go to this place, Canyon Ranch. It's really great. You'll just relax. It's like a spa and it's really great. So I go, okay, I, without even looking, I booked, I booked it. I didn't even realize that it was $600 a night. And I go there and, you know, like the first thing I see is um, Courtney Love being drying out, being carried by two guys. Yeah. Then I go into my room it, and it's a sad, it's, it's a Mother's Day weekend too, which is really stupid, but <laughs> like a stupid time for, you know, me to go alone. Mm -hmm. Although, but anyway, I spend the entire first day, $600, watching NBA playoff games. <laughs> I literally stayed in my room watching NBA playoff games the entire day. Mm. Like I couldn't have done that at home. The next day I decide I better take part and I go out on this nature walk or hike or something like that. And everybody's talking about health and fitness and I'm bored to death. And I come back to like the main place and I'm walking around the grounds and I come across this group of smokers sitting around smoking cigarettes at a health spa. And so I figure I'll hang out with these people. They're probably the cool people. And they were. Mm -hmm. And so basically for, for $1,200, I, I watched NBA playoff games and took up smoking. <laughs> then on the third, you know, like the third day, which is like the, on Mother's Day, or now the second day, like at dinner, Oh yeah, at dinner, I'm seated at one of these kind of group tables and this girl who's there with her mother, you know, she's like 25. Mm -hmm. She turns to me in the middle of it while her mother's talking, she whispers in my ear, she goes, I fucking hate my mother. And so I figure, oh, well, I'll hang out with this girl. <laughs> the next day we're hanging out. And we're walking around having some laughs. And at a certain point, we start making out. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, isn't it funny how every girl's got her own little kissing system? <laughs> here, lips, here, they do this. They mm -hmm. do and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my God, I'm making out with a girl and I'm not even in this moment. I'm right. still. And at that point, I said, okay, we got to figure out a way to just back this off a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, a long, amusing story for a uh, very little point, but <laughs> no, there's definitely a point. <laughs> so <laughs> um, the writers, there's not really a writer's room on Seinfeld. Like there was be on like a traditional sitcom, right? You, you would come up with the idea or pitch the idea to Larry and Jerry, and then they would send you off and then you would turn it into them and they would, they would rewrite it. Whereas opposed to like, a regular yeah, they, would, they would give you notes and then you'd probably write a second draft and then they would just take it over and do a rewrite you know which could be a to z or you know if you did a good job you know not as much mm -hmm. i said i certainly had scripts that ran the gamut you know yeah that but that's different than a regular sitcom where they're kind of pitching everybody's pitching jokes and oh god yeah i'd have never survived that yeah. 
you know, I don't like to be like in a competitive humor situation, you know, like just trying to be funnier than five other people in a room. Well, right, right. There till 3 a.m. You know, we worked seven days a week for the most part, but we never worked late. Mm hmm. Except on show night. And the only and we would we would have much more complicated scripts than anybody else, but we would end much faster than everybody else. Mm hmm. Yeah, we were like, speed was a very big thing. Dialogue speed was good. Editing speed was good. Shooting in front of a live audience, you know, like most shows, you know, they'll do like 10 takes in front of a live audience of the first scene. Like by that, by the, by the third scene, the audience is like, I want to go home. Mm -hmm. And we had them out of there by like 9.30. Yeah. Or 10. And then we'd, then the writers and the actor and, you know, usually the actors would, um, you know, go to Jerry's Deli and we would just hang out till mm -hmm. like one, two in the morning. In the beginning, it was really funny because, you know, this is so, so Larry David. Everybody would go around and, and talk about what was their biggest regret of the week. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So why do you think... Was it just the luck of Larry and Jerry and the people that were running the show that that's how it worked out as opposed to a different sitcoms? Why do you think other sitcoms don't work like that? Um, you know, part of it, Ike, my dog is just, um, part of it, I think is just ritual. You know, mm -hmm. like for years, it's, that's just the way it's been. Like, and there's a certain, there's been a certain romance about the whole writer's room thing. And right. great and funny and collaborative it is. And, but also, you know, sitcom writers are not often writers. Mm -hmm. you, know, not, you know, like, they're better in a room. They get these jobs because they're really good at yelling out jokes till three in the morning, mm -hmm. you know, and then they get, you know, on a Tuesday night at two 30, they get a line in the script and, you know, on Wednesday morning, they're walking around like they're, you know, Philip Roth or John Updike, you know, I mean, right. And, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, the best shows, kind of like have one singular kind of voice that you have to adapt to. Mm -hmm. You know, like Aaron Sorkin is great at that stuff. And, you know, and David, David Kelly did a whole bunch of really great shows. And, you know, so I, um, I don't know why there isn't more of that, but it's a very kind of weird niche area if you want to be a writer. Mm -hmm. be a sitcom writer yeah you know because it's not really writing right exactly yeah that makes sense so you how you were there you left uh you were there for like the second second to the eighth season right and you were right. after larry left you were the co-executive producer yeah that those titles meant nothing except yeah a scale or whatever mm -hmm. you know just really didn't mean anything right it really meant more for like your next job. You know, yeah. Because, oh, who's, 
oh, he, we got to hire him. Well, he's a co-exec. And, you know, I, I ended up getting a DreamWorks deal. So that didn't even matter. <laughs> yeah. But those titles are just meaningless. Yeah. So it was the decision to leave after the eighth season. Um, I would say there were two reasons. One is that the last episode I wrote was yada yada. Mm -hmm. And it was, to me, it felt like a throwback episode, you know, because the show had gotten kind of big and certain little unwieldy, you know, like mm -hmm. big, you know, the Puerto Rican Day Parade and, you know, the, the Frogger or whatever. Oh, you know, yeah, like, yeah. There are a lot of episodes in the last couple of years that I did not like at all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yada yada was kind of like everything I loved about the show, very small stories, you know, very little slices of life stories with, you know, big laughs and, and like one classic scene, you know, I mean, the scene with Jerry in the, in their confessional is like what I dreamed of, you know, mm -hmm. and you know, the great thing about Seinfeld is that you actually had the opportunity to you know, put your mark on the cultural landscape of the country. You know, right. People said yada yada. I was yeah. kind of like hoping that they would say anti-dentite, but <laughs> that's fine. You know, and they're still saying yada yada. So that, anyway, so that seemed like a good place to leave. And also, I kind of knew the next season would be the last season. And I didn't really want to be one of, you know, 10 different Seinfeld writing writers or teams, you know, out there pitching shows. So I figured I'd get out a little early. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you mentioned you, you can't, well, you uh, popularize yada yada and uh, shrinkage is one of yours, right? I yeah. still use, I, I bust out anti-dentite every once in a while. <laughs> yeah. I love that one. <laughs> but how does that, is that something you can even like wrap your mind around that that you help popularize these? Not these really. Yeah. Not really. I'm I'm you know, you know, I'm I'm glad you asked it like that because so many people say, you must feel great. And like, no, I can't really wrap my head around it. Yeah. You know, like sometimes I'll be watching like some like a you know, one of the anchors on MSNBC or something, and they'll say yada yada yada. I'm like, oh my God. And mm -hmm. but no, I can't really wrap my head around it. Yeah, it's it's crazy. I also feel like that's kind of like the last Seinfeld's kind of like the last show where that could happen. Like everything's so divided now. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to there's so many yeah. channels, so many shows. It's it's really rough. It's and especially for comedy, it's really rough out there. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, you know, like you don't even hear people talking about too many comedy shows, you know, Not, maybe, yeah. you know, hacks or, but uh, yeah, it's kind of sad. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a weird time. I mean, like, you know, I don't see much of network TV unless I'm watching like a sporting event. And I remember like watching the NBA playoffs this year and, you know, you'd see them promoing like a new show and you'd like the promo for it you know they're trying to put out what the like the funniest moment and you can't believe that's it <laughs> yeah and, you know instead of you know must see tv they should just change the name they should just change their slogan to we give up <laughs>
<laughs> you know, we quit. Yeah. What do you think? Why do you think that is? What do you think happened? I don't know. I mean, you know, I think part of it is that, you know, the networks were always so cautious and so like worried and things like that. And then, you know, you get shows like on HBO where, you know, like Succession, where like mm -hmm. word out of their mouth is more disgusting than the one before. You know, and people are going to want to go for that. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, they didn't learn any lessons from Seinfeld. Right. That, you know, like when I pitched shows right after Seinfeld, you know, they'd say like, that character doesn't seem like he's really likable. And I'd say, what were you thinking when you got into business with me? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's it's pretty crazy. I really found out, you know, it was very eye-opening. You know, like I found out that the networks really hated Seinfeld. They liked mm -hmm. it as fans, but they hated it because it broke all their rules. Yeah. You know, it broke every one of their rules, you know, the likability thing, you know, they'd screw each other over, you know, like the friendships, they'd screw each other over all yeah. the time and you know people they would treat people horribly you know people would die and you know people would get deported right you know i mean you know i mean we you know susan got killed mm -hmm. george basically killed his fiance <laughs> i you know i was like maybe in the last episode they were all gonna die i mean you know yeah how do you how do you feel about the last episode i feel much better about it than everybody else apparently mm -hmm. i thought it was good i don't know what people were expecting like what, right what did yeah. they think i mean the only quibble i think you could have with that last episode is that watching and laughing as a you know a fat guy is getting mugged might have been like one step beyond you know how bad these people were yeah not really and yeah I, you, know, you know and but even if you think that they wind up paying the price right yeah exactly and um i don't know i thought it was great i really did i thought yeah it was i great. liked it yeah I, yeah I don't know what people would just hated it i know i don't know what they I actually, I think if I was talking about this with Larry one day, that if he had written 10 different finales, the people would have hated all of them. Yeah. Like There's no way, you know, and unless, you know, like it's very hard to write a finale unless you're going to, you know, do it like MASH where it's really sappy. Mm -hmm. And that's not the show. Yeah. Yeah. So the DreamWorks deal, what, what did that entail? Um, a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I was, you know, I did this, I, I immediately got a show on that lasted two seasons called It's Like, you know, mm -hmm. Jennifer Gray and some other people. And um, it was a very eye-opening experience, but I really enjoyed it. But, you know, um, it was the timing 
and the network was a little off because the funny thing, you know, because they discovered who wants to be a millionaire mm. and it, they wanted to put it on once it hit, they wanted to put it on like three or four nights a week. Yeah. So the first victim, the first two victims of reality TV or unscripted TV were my show. It's like, you know, and Aaron Sorkin's show sports night. Oh yeah. We yeah. Got, we both got canceled because of that. Mm -hmm. And you know, like at that point you just throw your hands up and then, you know, I pitched, but I, I did a, several other pilots and then I got an, you know, Jeffrey Katzenberg re-signed me for a second, three years. And, you know, I pitched some other shows and it was really tough going. That's when, you know, like the network ratings were falling through the floor. So they were more nervous than ever. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like I helped out with a lot of DreamWorks projects because I really liked the company, you know, so I spent a lot of time on Madagascar. Okay. Yeah. 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 And a few others, you know, and there were some other scripts that I kind of like helped out with you know like i was more in instead of just being a tv person i was kind of a dreamworks person okay interesting yeah. and then so you wrote when did you write your first novel um it's funny like after after my dreamworks stint um I went again i just one day had this idea for like an op-ed column and i sold to the Washington Post. And then I was like, God, I really like writing these op-eds. Mm -hmm. So I wrote like a whole bunch of articles for, you know, mainly for the New York Times, LA Times and Washington Post. And then, um, then I wrote this novel in, I think 2014, um, where I just got this idea and, um, you know, because my friends, my my friend's mother was in town, and she lives on she lived on Long Island, and her entire town was kind of taken over by Orthodox Jews. Mm -hmm. And if you opened your store on a Saturday, they would economically freeze you out. And I was just like, just so appalled by that. Right. And, I mean, anything in religion drives me batshit, but you know, I mean, people talk about the Bible. I'm like, like it's in the Bible. I was like, yes, Jonah ate a whale, <laughs> a whale inside the Bible. That doesn't sound like something that, you know, Woodward and Bernstein did a lot of <laughs> out, you know, right. confirm it. So, um, yeah, so I don't know. It just gave me like the impetus to write this novel and, um, it was like, I don't consider myself a very disciplined person, but somehow I got into this thing where I would at least try to get right, like make some progress every day, even if it was just one paragraph. And mm -hmm. are, if you do that, you're going to write more than one paragraph. And even, you know, no matter what, you could feel like you're moving along. And I right. didn't really know where the story was going, but I liked where it turned out. Mm -hmm. I was kind of going by that, you know, the driving at driving your car at night theory of writing, which is like, you know, you can um, see as far as your headlights and still get to the end where you want to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
I uh, I need to read that one. I read me as well uh, cool. when it came when during the pandemic, like during the first lockdown. Uh, I really I really enjoyed that. Oh, thanks. Yeah. So I how was, long? That one was like. That one was like I was reading an obituary of Philip Roth, and they were talking about you know this you know, very famous book that he wrote, Portnoy's Complaint, where he's kind of like obsessed about his mother. And I was trying to think of like what I would get that obsessed about or what I had that many opinions about. Mm -hmm. And I just decided it was sports. And then, you know, like this whole Me Too movement and everything like that was like so crazy that I mixed up the two of them. And, um, you know, that's how that book came out. Yeah, and he's a, it's a, he's a sports journalist and he ends up getting for fired from his job after he makes a sexist joke, which kind of happened at the Washington post, like uh, yeah. a couple, couple months ago. Unbelievable. And that yeah. was like, he didn't, did he, yeah, oh, he just, yeah. he just yeah. retweeted something. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, I think it was um, like, is your wife bisexual or bipolar or something like that? Yeah. Every, every girl's, bisexual yeah. either bisexual or bipolar you just have to figure out which one or something yeah like that. yeah you know like it's you know it's not the funniest line in the world but right certainly not the most offensive like you it, know like yeah hey this whole thing is so bad this i know whole, this whole wokeness thing is so bad yeah it's crazy you know i mean and you know i also you know, in the last five or six years, started doing stand-up kind of, mm -hmm. and I love it. It's so much fun. I mean, it's a lot more fun if you have nothing at stake. <laughs> but um, you know, I, you know, I always opened up my sets by saying, I guess you, most of you, know me as the guy who um, impregnated Roe from Roe v. Wade, and. I was like worried about doing that now. Uh-huh. And the funny thing is, it's getting bigger laughs than ever. Yeah. And so like I'm kind of encouraged. And you know, like I don't do a lot of I don't do stuff that's, you know, like potentially that offensive, but I'm willing to take the chance on being canceled. I mean, like, what are they gonna cancel me from? Walking the dog? <laughs> you know, I was doing this joke about 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 islam and saying that it's really a beautiful religion and it's not fair to let 75 million bad apples spoil the whole <laughs> that's a good joke <laughs> and some yeah and some people you know sometimes it it gets like either groans or nervous laughs and mm -hmm. i don't care right i'm gonna keep doing it yeah speaking of like people who weren't af afraid to take risk you wrote an article along uh when you're freelancing about gilbert gottfried one of my yeah. favorite comics the greatest the yeah greatest. um I, yeah okay. i always say I'm, my favorite comic is norm mcdonald and then norm. gilbert norm is great too yeah i got to know norm i was oh really yeah 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 he was writing on roseanne which was on the same lot mm -hmm. so I had a friend who, who was writing on that show. So I, you know, like on Seinfeld, you know, like you do, you weren't stuck in a room. So I could just like walk around the lot whenever I wanted. You know, I would like socialize, you know, to me, it was like going back to college, you mm -hmm. know, like it was like, oh, I'll go to this sorority house and hang out, you know? So um, 
I went there to see my friend Betsy and, um, you know, and I got to know Norm and it was really great. And I hadn't seen him in a long time. And then I bumped into him, you know, not, you know, maybe six, eight months before he, he died. And, uh, it was really great to see him. We had like, it was like really nice seeing him. Yeah, that's great. Any, any good stories? No, not really. Yeah. I just liked him a lot. You know, he's a terrific comic and, um, you know, you know, you, you get to be a little bit of a comedy snob after a while. And, you know, so like, you really appreciate the ones you like, you know, like I went to a, um, memorial service for jerry's manager george shapiro this weekend mm. you know, 91 years old you mm-hmm. know kind of a legend in the business and a lot of people were giving you know speeches up there too many but by kevin nealon mm. he is always great oh I mean, yeah he's great no matter too. what he does he is always hysterical and brilliant always. yeah Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was lucky enough to open for him one time. Really? Yeah. Where? Uh, the Helium Comedy Club in Indianapolis. Wow. Cool. Yeah, it was great. It was and great. he's the nicest guy, too. Oh, very nice. Super nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been on done readings with him where you like read articles or essays or things that you've written. Mm-hmm. And he's he's just hysterical just yeah fantastic. yeah he, he killed every time it was it was great and you know sarah silverman was there also saturday night and um those are my favorite comics you know sarah's to me is like a god yeah she is so fantastic and she's she great get away with anything and she's mm-hmm. brilliant and um I really like that Gerard Carmichael a lot. Oh, yeah, he's great, too. I loved him, like, the first time I saw his first special. I was like, wow, this guy's mm-hmm. a great way about him on stage. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He's such, so good. And Gilbert, you know, I don't know. Gilbert, to me, is, like, the greatest comic in the world. Mm-hmm. For that article, you did you follow him around and watch him do sets at, in New York and stuff? I went... I literally saw him do six sets, no, seven sets in like between Thursday and Sunday. Yeah. At Caroline's. Oh, really? It was like the greatest thing in the world. I never got bored because every set was completely different than the one before. He had so much material. And on the Sunday night set, when he was finishing, you know, he made, he made good money on those. He would sell them all out. And, you know, like he didn't want to leave the stage, he, you know, because that's where he felt comfortable, you know? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the night, you know, like he's been up, you know, the, his last sets like going on two hours and he's saying things like, Gilbert, get off the stage. <laughs> have no more material. <laughs> and what a, what a genius. What was he like off stage? Because he seems, he seems like a tough, uh, he'd be like a tough guy to actually interview. Yeah, you actually almost had to fool him into saying something meaningful. Mm-hmm. He's um, He was pretty unreachable, but, you know, you could hang out with him a lot because, you know, like if you get, if you, you know, like to, could take him out to dinner, he'd, right. you know, 
because he's like the cheapest person in the history of the world. <laughs> but, you know, I got, a, you know, between, you know, tricking him into actually saying some things and, and talking to others, you know, I think I got a lot out of him. Yeah. Yeah. So how, how often are you doing stand-up? Not as often as I should, you know, just the whole thing about getting booked, you know, like I'm a little past the hustling stage. Mm -hmm. Uh, How often do you do it? Well, I try to go out every night, at least do like an open mic. Mm -hmm. Um, But I feel like I I, for when I was in Indiana, I was doing it a lot. I was getting booked a lot and I was kind of working the road and stuff. But um, here I kind of have I like second year in New York. So I'm kind of like reestablishing myself and getting to know the scene. So I'll get like actual shows, like, uh, like three a month, three or four a month, and then mics and stuff in between. Yeah. It's really hard to just, it's really hard to get stage time. And I just can't believe how many comedians there are. Yeah. It's it's like, you know, like when I met Larry, I mean, I knew, I just knew of him just because like there were only like, you know, there were only like 30 comedians in the whole city, maybe, mm-hmm. you know, like, and I had never seen him do stand up. I still never seen him do stand up. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never seen Jerry do a whole set. You know, he, really? Oh, I've seen, I saw almost all of his material just because he would warm up the audience. Mm hmm. And, you know, he would do material probably just to keep it fresh in his mind. Yeah. But um, I never saw either of them really do stand up. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is crazy how how many comics there are. I uh, The comic strip has this thing where you line up for uh, to get an audition spot. Yeah. A couple, it was a couple of weeks ago. And uh, you're supposed to line up at five. I get there at around 445. There's already... 100 comics in line in front oh of me. God. And then so we get through and we get our spots and I have a, a an audition spot for uh November 23rd uh 2023. No. Yeah. Oh my god. That's <laughs> insane. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's like cruel and unusual. <laughs> that is that's sick. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. It's gotta be an easier way. You just, think so, yeah. You have to like <laughs> I guess you have to like start your own club or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, which people do, you know. Like, oh yeah, definitely. Or you know, they get they produce a show somewhere. Like here, you there's a couple of places where you could actually produce a show, you know. Yeah. There's some there's some good like produce shows and stuff i need to do that at some point next time um, go, next time i go to new york before i go i'm gonna i i'm you know from working with gilbert i got to know caroline mm. and you know it was still like a little bit in touch and i'm gonna tell her look i want stage time there yeah definitely well if you need an opener i'm available i'll uh i'll keep it in mind yeah <laughs> so thanks for doing this man i'll wrap up with this um What's the best piece of advice you would give to somebody just starting out? Um, like I said before, 
do as much as you can to increase your chances of getting lucky. Mm -hmm. Like put as much stuff out there as you can, meet as many people as you can. And above all else, don't be an asshole. Yeah. That's my biggest advice is don't be an asshole. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Especially when you're trying to make it like, you know, you know, if, if you're in, uh, you know, and if you're in Jerry's category, okay, you could afford to be an <laughs> asshole. Yeah. And he's, and he's, and he's not, you know, mm-hmm. exactly. But, um, you know, it's, you know, it's not like, you know, having the dream of working for Goldman Sachs, you know, where you could do well in college, get into a good business school and be hired by Goldman Sachs. You know, there's no direct route. You mm-hmm. know, you just got to, you know, you got to put stuff out there. I mean, you never know what's going to lead to what. I mean, I wrote this article in the New York Times and it turned out that it got me my Seinfeld job. Right. I mean, I wrote it, I wrote it in 1988 and it got me a Seinfeld job in 1990. Yeah on a completely different coast. Exactly. And um, so you never know. And you got to be bold, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I don't even relate to the human being I was who wrote a letter to the Washington Post as a woman. I don't mm-hmm. know what that person was anymore. You know, yeah. like, I, I'm kind of look back on it and go, wow, that's pretty cool that I did that. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Can't believe it. Yeah, I mean, and it worked out. Yeah, I don't know how I'm going to translate that now into into getting more stage time. <laughs> I should well, just call up and say, "Hey, um, you know, I'm um, you know, I'm Jerry Seinfeld. It's Jerry Seinfeld calling. Um, oh, I'm calling for Jerry Seinfeld. He wants to get us do a set tonight." <laughs> yeah, I said Peter Melman. <laughs> Well, thanks so much for doing this. This is great to talk to you. It was a pleasure. Really great. Yeah. And, uh, you ask good questions and uh, I like your chances. Ah, I appreciate it. Well, thanks so much, man. Okay. Take care. You too. Bye. Bye. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling to salads and scrambled eggs. Mercy. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Yeah, maybe. But I got you pegged. But I don't know what to do with those tossed salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. Scrambled eggs all over my face. What is a boy to do? Mabry has left the building.